please do turn on your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And I'll start reading in chapter 1 and verse 12 to 16. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. That figure is the risen and ascended Jesus Christ, the one we Christians, down through history, have proclaimed as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all, freely given in order to save the world. Salvation as a gift of grace imparted to all those who would accept Jesus Christ as Saviour. And one group of people had taken, up, taken him up on that offer. A church we read about in Revelation 2, verse 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen? Repent! and do the things you did at first. For if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, let's start off by having a brief overview of some details. First of all, the speaker. As I've already said, these passages speak of Jesus in the fullness of his post-resurrected glory, although these mere words cannot do ultimate justice to him. Jesus is our speaker here, commanding John, the apostle that he loved, to write. Jesus is not aloof, impersonal and distant. He knows intimately about his church and his people. Nothing is secret to him. Did you note in verse 1 where Jesus walked around surveying the people who claimed to follow and worship him alone? Wow! And the angel, the angel mentioned in verse uh, could also mean messenger or it could mean a guardian angel or a saint. As with much of Revelation and the largely figurative language, there is no absolute certainty as to what it meant. And the author, there's much debate also as to who the author of the book of Revelation is. Most attribute it to the Apostle John. And that is who I believe it to be. And Ephesus. 
Ephesus was located on the coast, and it was a transportation hub, and also an administrative and commercial centre. It was home to the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and as such was a centre of mystical cult worship. There were also six temples set up for worship of Roman emperors, emperors, such was its importance. And we know a lot about the Church of Ephesus from the New Testament. It was established by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, and it was from this church that Paul called the elders of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus when he was on his way to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. Tradition tells us that Ephesus became the residence of the Apostle John himself, both before and after his exile, and that he, he the Apostle John, was their bishop. So if tradition is right on this aspect, then can you imagine the sense of excitement built up in the Ephesian congregation? Wow! John has sent us a letter! Our John, our bishop! What does it say? Quick, quick, hurry up and read it! Boy, were they in for a shock! The Lord Jesus is always gracious. And here he starts off by commending the church, these Christians. He sees the work being done by them. They work hard. They tirelessly persevere through hardships. Their doctrine, their teaching and belief system is orthodox and correct. They tolerated neither evil or people who perpetrated evil. They used discernment when required. The church in Ephesus had refused to allow apostasy and immorality to go on in the church. They exercised church discipline when people refused to respond to God's word. Does that sound like any church you know or even attend? Most of the Apostle John's sermons were based on one thing. Love. Love of Jesus Christ and love of one another. Indeed, John is known as the Apostle of Love. And as such, it comes as no surprise that he talks about love. So if they're commended, next, they're forsaken and forgotten. But what? And who have they forsaken? And who have they forgotten? The church in Ephesus was orthodox in theology, in its practice and its service, Yet something was missing, which if not corrected would ruin their their light-bearing capacity, their capacity to promote the gospel. They no longer had their first love, Jesus tells them in verse 7. It had been left behind. Again, many people have a theory about what this love is. Is it their love of Jesus Christ? Is it their love of others? I personally think it's both, and the reason I say this is because loving Jesus Christ involves loving others, just as loving others truly depends on loving Jesus Christ. This church, these people, have also forgotten something, that the local church is married to Jesus Christ, but there is always a danger of that love growing cold and sour. The church, both as a congregation and as individuals, can be so busy working for Jesus Christ that they have no time to love him. Jesus Christ is more concerned about what we do with him than for him. Labour is no substitute for love. 
to the public, the Ephesian church was successful. To Jesus Christ, it had fallen out of love with him. So they were commended, but they yet they have forsaken and forgotten Jesus Christ. And they've forgotten how to love both him and other people. And thirdly, for all its outward appearances, the church of Ephesus was super spiritual. They were, they were guilty of something that is not necessarily seen outwardly. Jesus sees the heart. And in the Ephesian church, he did not see love. So here in our third point, Jesus counsels them. He tells them to do three things in which to restore their marriage or their relationship. First of all, remember. Reflect. Go back Recall your past. Jesus is saying, remember the way it used to be in your relationship with me? This process of looking back is also a call to recognize one's true condition. We can't very well confess sin if we don't clearly see sin for what it is. Has our Christian life lost some of its excitement and joy? Are we finding our Christian work rather boring and dull, even to the point of drudgery? Have we lost the joy of the Lord? If so, it's because we have left the position of devotion and occupation with Jesus Christ. And then there's repent. To recognize one's previous decision, opinion or condition as wrong. And to accept and move towards a new and right path in its place. Repentance includes confession of sin, asking God for forgiveness, with a view to stopping the bad behavior so it can be replaced with what is right. So remember, repent, and then Jesus tells them to repeat. Jesus commands them, do the things you did at first. Go back to when you first turned to me and repeat them. As well as continuing to work for me, it would include such things as honest confession of sin, prayer, Bible study, Bible reading, meditation, memorization, fellowship with other believers, being so occupied with Jesus Christ and focusing all of life on him. The faith rests, uh, life, reckoning on a position of Christ, etc., 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 etc. In your dealings with people, have an attitude of love as well as service. And then after the commendations and the counsel, now comes a challenge. If they refuse to remember, repent and repeat, the church will be destroyed. Their zeal is again commended in verse 6. And again that is not enough. They must love again and keep on loving all sacrificially. Not just those they like. Love of Jesus Christ and loving their neighbours. For without love the survival as a church is dependent. Did the Ephesian church listen? Well today there is neither church nor city. So apparently they didn't. Not only were they challenged to keep on loving, but also challenged in verse 7 to be overcomers. For the individual that overcomes, for the individual that remembers, repents and repeats, there is a promise of everlasting life. What are they to overcome? Overcomers are individuals who by faith in Jesus Christ alone overcome Satan and temptations to live sinful lives, clinging only to Jesus Christ and worshipping him alone, those whose first love is Jesus Christ alone, and it is to these people that everlasting life is promised.
What about today? We live in times when churches are closing and congregations are dwindling. Yet not all are. Some churches are thriving and growing. Those churches that close or are facing dwindling congregations, are they churches that have forgotten their first love? Are they so efficient and zealous for God that they've forgotten to love their neighbours and therefore by proxy forgotten to love Jesus Christ? Or are they churches that declare love for their neighbours yet neglect to love Jesus Christ by following his commands closely? No wonder there are churches in decline in this nation if they don't love. For they are writ for destruction if the church of Ephesus is anything to go by. Studies show that those churches where the word of God is faithfully preached and actively showing love to others, there is a steady increase in congregational growth. However, it also showed that the churches that were closing or had dwindling congregations were those that didn't take God's word seriously and were therefore neglecting their love, their first love for Jesus Christ. So where is your church today? Where are you today? Is it and you like the church of Ephesus from the passage from Revelation chapter 2? Why do you do the things you do for the church? Is it motivated out of love for Christ and love for other people? Or is it motivated out of some vain, self-satisfying glory and duty? Let us all, each one of us, remember, repent and repeat as we go about our service for God. By no means stop what you are doing for Him, but go about it even more fervently with a love that is reminiscent of your first love of Him. Don't treat Jesus as a first crush, a boyfriend, someone who is easily forgotten. That is not what He requests. And not so much requests, but something that He demands. He demands we treat Him as a first love, showing that in our adoration of Him, and in our love for all those around us, and perhaps one of the greatest areas where love can be seen is in the area of giving. Everybody can give. Our giving of words, gestures, touches, possessions, lives, and yes, even our money. How does our giving of anything match that of the God we claim to serve and emulate? Our money, words, gestures, touches, possessions, and lives are to be given without expectation of a return. That is the essence of grace. Our money, possessions and lives were all given to us by God in the first place. To not pass them on wisely and freely for the use of others in need is to rob God of glory due to his name alone. To not do that is spiritual materialism and a gospel of works. Indeed, the reason most people don't give to need is because they are either selfish or lack the imagination to fulfil the needs of others. When the world gives, they give expecting something back. When Christians give, they are to give as God gives, freely and without expectation of getting anything in return. We, as the church in the 21st century, as individual Christians, are not to emulate the world, but to emulate the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, who freely gave all in the name of love, sacrificial love and sacrificial giving. 
So go, go and show your love of Jesus Christ, remaining close to him and giving generously and with grace. And if you lack the imagination to fulfill somebody's needs, pray about it and ask the God of imagination to help you. Thank you.